study out of Jeremiah chapter 17, part 2, the Sabbath. Jeremiah 17, verse 19, the Lord said, Go and stand in the gate of the children of the people by which the kings of Judah come in and by which they go out and say, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, and all Judah, the Lord says. Take heed to yourselves. Lou, I'm getting a ringing here. I don't know if it's this this one or something's ringing here. All right, sorry about that. Take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work but hallow the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. And so Jeremiah has given lots of counsel, lots of warnings, as we've been seeing all along, to the kings and to the uh, to the people of Judah, and here he brings in saying, take no burden on the Sabbath day, don't bring it into the gates of Jerusalem, don't carry a burden out of your houses, it's the Sabbath day, don't do any work, hallow the Sabbath day, and that word is the same one that's used in, in the commandment itself, the fourth commandment, uh, to that God has blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, as he commanded our fathers, right? So taking all the way back to the beginning of time. Now, Orthodox Jews will, will take texts like this and will not carry anything on the Sabbath day. Um, so anything they would consider carrying for any distance at all outside of the home. Uh, I remember uh, we were in a park one time and, and, and passing out uh, booklets and things like that. And, and they said, no, we can't carry. It's the Sabbath day. We, you know, we can't uh, take that uh, and carry it. And so they won't carry um, some I understand will have unique ways of doing that. They may have a pin and like pin their keys to the, to the inside of the jacket or something like that. Um, and not to carry. And so another interesting way that they get around this is, oh, here, I got the next picture. Um, but before I get to that, uh, it says, bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it into the gates of the Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work. And so we see here it's attached with this concept of work, not just merely carrying something, but having to carry something in relation to work. In other words, don't bring your farm uh, wares, your, your produce and, and things, into the gates of Jerusalem for the purpose of selling them. I don't, don't be transporting and trafficking your wares on the Sabbath day. Don't be working your work. Uh, don't be doing your profession. Don't be earning your living, making your money on the Sabbath day by bringing your burdens, your goods, into the gates of the city, again, for the purpose of selling. It has to do with work, and we'll see that in some other texts as well. But right here in the text itself, where it mentions burden, it also mentions about work, because it's the Sabbath day, and we'll look a little bit more on that. So, uh, and then it goes on, but they did not, he gave it to the fathers, but they did not obey nor incline their ear, but made their necks stiff, stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And so these pictures demonstrate some of the ways that uh, in Orthodox circles they get around this, not carrying a burden outside of your home. If your home is bigger 
then, then it's okay. And so they, they have these wires. See the guy setting up these wires and they will put a wire perimeter around the area that they want to be able to walk. And you'll see this in Jerusalem and Brooklyn, some other places. And as long as you stay within those wires, it's an extension of your home. And then you can carry your purse or your whatever uh, within those boundaries. And then like here's even this, the sign, uh, the Eruv uh, ends there. That section ends, and so even a warning that don't go beyond that where that sign is because that's where their quarter-off area ends for that particular community. Uh, and so then they're not carrying a burden outside the gates is how they interpret that. Now, that's how it is today, and we'll see that hasn't changed in over 2,000 years. As we look at John chapter 5, verse 8, Yeshua said uh, to a paralytic, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And they said to him, who was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And so they're going with that burden. Is a, your bed is a burden, and so you cannot carry your... Obviously he had a mattress, he was sick, he, you know, and, and so he's probably begging, uh, and so he had this, you know, mat or something like that, so that he didn't get bed sores or wounds or you know sores on his on his back or on his uh, shoulders or you know bottom or whatever sitting on the hard stone and so he had this little mat or whatever it was and Yeshua heals him and so now he can go and go home and he's not just going to leave his mat there for the garbage collectors to come and take you know and uh, so he says take it take it with you to be good for the community not to leave garbage there. <laughs> for whatever reason, or if it had any value to it, take it, take it with you, take it home. Uh, he's not working, he's not earning a living with it, he's just carrying this roll-up thing under his arm and taking it with him. And they see him doing that, and immediately, uh, they, or immediately he was made well, and they said to him, uh, it's the Sabbath. It's unlawful for you to carry your bed on the Sabbath day. Afterwards, Yeshua found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And one of the things they were accusing Yeshua of was breaking the Sabbath by telling this man to break the Sabbath, telling this man to carry his bed. And so, um, and so the, the, uh, the Jewish people that were accusing him here um, we're saying he's unlawful, he's doing something unlawful, this man that's made well was carrying his bed in an unlawful way, and that Yeshua who encouraged it was encouraging the breaking of the Sabbath. That's one spectrum. Now you got the other side of the spectrum. People will look at that story and interpret it to say that the Sabbath's been done away with. See, here's even Yeshua encouraging, don't worry, the Sabbath doesn't mean anything anymore. Uh, because look, he let people carry their beds on the Sabbath, and so he was breaking the Sabbath because he did away with the Sabbath. Well, obviously, that's not accurate as well, um, because the Bible itself says in Yeshua himself said, nothing will leave the law, not one jot, nor one tittle, nor one dot, nor one crossing of a T will, will depart from the law of God. So that would be inconsistent with what he said himself and how he lived his life. Plus, also right here, he tells the man, sin no more. So if he had done away with the commandments, well, sin is, the Bible's definition of sin, sin is transgression of God's law. Sin is breaking the law. 
And so how can he tell them don't go sin, sin no more if there is no more sin, right? If there's no more law, then there's no more sin, right? Because uh, sin is the transgression of the law. And if there's no law, then there's no sin. Right? You can't do wrong if there's no one to say what is right and what is wrong. And if there is no wrong, then there is no, no penalty for wrong. If there's no uh, law defining what is wrong, if there's no statement of what is wrong, then you can't get in trouble for doing something wrong because there is no wrong. Right? I mean, I don't know if you can follow that reasoning. but uh, So obviously he says sin no more, then obviously Yeshua believed that the law was still valid because that is what sin is based on, sin being the rejection of God's law, the breaking of God's law. So that's certainly not what he was teaching. What he came to do was to demonstrate how to keep the Sabbath. And he saw how they were perverting the Sabbath, how they were adding burdens to the Sabbath, not literal carry burdens, but burdens on their backs, burdens on their conscience, burdens of guilt that shouldn't be there by adding to God's law what wasn't there. And so it wouldn't be uh, breaking the Sabbath to make your bed in the morning. It's not uh, you know, breaking Sabbath to take your dishes from the table and to put them in the sink, uh, you know, um, you know, whatever. So he's making it clear on how to observe the Sabbath, to do good on the Sabbath day. And Yeshua says that himself. It is good to do good. I think we're going to read that uh, on the Sabbath day. So obviously he wasn't doing away with the Sabbath, but he was encouraging the right way to observe the Sabbath. Another interesting thing with this statement here, see you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So with that statement, Yeshua is indicating for this individual, his sickness was a result of some sin that he had been doing. Now the Bible doesn't say what that sin was, but it could have been some lifestyle issues that destroyed his health. Just physical, you know, way it happens, uh, you know, cause to effect, doing something that's the Bible tells us it's not good for us because it is not good for us. And if you continue to break those just laws of nature, then it will result in, in, in sickness eventually. Or it could have been some other sin that not, didn't necessarily have to do with a direct relation to whatever sickness he had, as far as a direct cause to effect. Uh, but it could have been, uh, you know, Cause to affect the example of the, uh, you know, someone eating pig and it having uh, trichinosis worms in it and the person comes down with trichinosis, right? Well, the direct cause to affect uh, on that type of a thing. Um, but it might be something that he was doing that's not having to do with health at all. Maybe he was working on the Sabbath day. Maybe he was doing his labor on the Sabbath day. Maybe he was making his living, earning money on the Sabbath day, for example. But no direct relation to that and, and, and becoming sick, paralegic. But once we go outside the covering of God, when we reject God, when we reject what we know is right, we push God away, and then we open ourselves up to the one who tempted us to disobey God. And once we open ourselves up to the one who tempted us, Satan, to disobey God, then we're giving Satan reign and rule and open door to do with us whatever he wants. And so it could have been that type of an effect, 
And so Yeshua heals him, but he doesn't just heal him and say, okay, now go ahead, continue to live how you were. You're healed. You can just continue in sin. And you can just continue doing what you were doing and expect now different results. He says, no, you've got to change. I've healed you. This is a perfect illustration of the gospel, the full gospel, the full good news that God gives to us. He forgives us. He forgives us freely. He healed this man freely. He didn't tell the man to do something first in order to be healed. Yeshua just went and healed him. And he was healed. Rise up, take up your bed and walk. He didn't have to pay anything. He didn't have to do any good things. He didn't have to change first to be healed. Nor do we have to start being good before we're forgiven. God forgives us before we do good. God forgives us before we have the ability to do good because we don't have the ability to do good without him. So he's already forgiven us. He's already actually forgiven the entire world because he's already paid the price. It's already pre-done, pre-paid, pre-paid forgiveness. And if it stopped there, if that's all there was to the good news of God's word, well then, hey, everyone's forgiven and everyone, you know, would be going to heaven. But that's not where it ends. He fully forgives us and then he wants to fill us and change us from inside and give us the power that we did not naturally have to not sin again. To give us a desire not to rebel against God anymore. To give us a desire to love God and to follow God and to be appreciative of what God did for us. And to thank him in heart and soul and mind and to seek him. God gives us the ability to do that, which we don't normally have, that we don't naturally have. He then transforms us and puts inside us his spirit that gives us a desire for him and then the power to follow him and the power to follow his word. And that's why then Yeshua said, so you've been made well without having to do anything. And now that you've been made well, and now that you have the ability to not do what you used to do, don't do what you used to do. Go and sin no more. Or a worse thing will come upon you. See, if we were just forgiven, then how can a worse thing come upon us? You've already forgiven us and we're forgiven? I'm healed, so I'm good for the rest of my life? No, he says, no. It's a continual life. Right? So the gospel is a two-step thing. Salvation is a two-step process. There's fancy words for it, theological words, justification and sanctification. Those are two parts of the same thing. They're not two separate, two parts, but of one whole thing of the gospel, one whole thing of God's good news, one whole thing of our, the plan of salvation. Justification, God counts us just, justification, just as if we never sinned. God does that without us. God does that for us. God did that before we were even born. God declared us just before God, forgiven, loved by him, again, without our permission and without us. It's a work that he did and done by the Messiah's death for us. Justification. So we're just before God. We are right before God because of what Yeshua did in our behalf. 
Now we need to receive that. Yeshua said to the paralytic man, you're healed, rise up and take up your bed and walk. And the man could have said, no, I'm not healed. I don't believe it. I'm not rising up. I'm not going home. I'm going to stay here. And he would have denied and rejected the power that was offered to him and given to him. We also can say, ah, yeah, you say I'm justified, but I don't want to be justified. I want to continue to live in my rebellion. I want to continue to live in my own way. I want to continue to hold on to my sins. And we can reject what God has already paid for us and done for us. So that's the first step. He did it for us without us, the justification. Can Yeshua heal this man without the man having any ability to do it on his own? The man didn't help out at all, other than believing and accepting. But Yeshua first gave him that as well. Yeshua comes first in all that. Then the second part is the sanctification, which is the work of God changing us. It's still God doing it, but that he only does with our permission and with our participation, where he changes us and directs us in a new direction and gives us the power to walk in that new direction, gives us the power to walk in the right way, and then we participate with that. And that's sanctification. This is where he said, go and sin no more, at least the worst thing will come upon you. So both works, the justification and the sanctification, are both God's work. Just one God did without us before we were born. The other one God does in us and through us and with us. We have the free choice to reject both if we want or either if we want. But salvation only comes by accepting both and moving along in both. Receiving the forgiveness, being appreciative of that, and allowing God to fill us with his spirit to then walk us in the new life, in the new way. I mean, that just makes sense. And God kicked Adam and Eve, he kicked the angels out, the fallen angels out, the rebellious angels out of heaven. He certainly won't let us in, in rebellion, for any less. That just makes sense. But it's such great news. Because I think God has placed in us a desire to do better. God has placed in all of us a desire to do good. But we don't have that power without him. And so the good news is that he forgave where we messed up, and then he gives us the power to do what is right. And Yeshua just confirms this here. And we see this all throughout the scripture. Just about every story of the Bible has this two-step. We can see it everywhere. In Matthew 12, verse 11, Yeshua said, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Right? So here he heals this man, this man is healed, and so he takes up his bed and he walks. Takes his bed home, that's good. It's a good thing. It's good what Yeshua did for him. It's good that he takes up his bed and walks home. It's good that he's able to go home. It's good that he didn't have to wait till the next day and Yeshua might be in another town. It's good that he didn't leave his bed there. It's good that he didn't have to sit there healed waiting for the Sabbath to end to go home. He's good. It's a good thing on the Sabbath day. And Yeshua uses reasoning. He knows that, yeah, if your sheep falls in, and no doubt that happened, and they pulled him out. Not even on the Sabbath day. We don't let the animals suffer. So, Yeshua obviously did not do away with the Sabbath, did not teach not to keep the Sabbath. He tells them, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
If he was trying to teach that the Sabbath has been done away with, he wouldn't say something like that. He'd say, you can pull your ox and your sheep out of a ditch because the Sabbath has been done away with. But that's not what he said. He said, you can do that because that's what I intended when I wrote it in stone. That's what I intended when I created Adam and Eve and I created the Sabbath for their first full day of life as a gift to them, as a day of rest, as a day of delight, as a day to come together with me, as a day to fellowship together, Adam and Eve, and their family. That is what I intended when I created the day and gave it to them as their wedding gift, as a special gift to them, God's gift to us. And so he came to show us how it's lived out, how to keep the Sabbath, and how it can be a blessing to us. In Exodus 20, where the commandment is written in stone, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, again, that right from the start indicates that it goes back before it was written, because he says, remember the Sabbath day. So it goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis Rashid, chapter 2, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You or anyone who is within your gates, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. And the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Just as he said in Jeremiah, just as Jeremiah said, or the Lord said, and Jeremiah wrote, that the Sabbath day is hallowed, it's holy, it's blessed. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day. Similar wording is used there in the Genesis account. No other day is written that God blessed, that God set apart as special, as holy. <clears throat> the Sabbath day. And so, in review again, the six days you shall labor and do all your work. So God expects us to work. Six days. Some people say, well, the Sabbath is every day. I rest in the Lord every day. Well, if we're resting seven days, we're not keeping the commandment says to work seven days, six days. So if we're resting seven days, not only are we a commandment breaker, we're lazy. Right? So God didn't call us to rest seven days. He calls us to work six days. There's plenty of time to do all our burdens. And then the rest of the Sabbath day. It seems so amazing that people would have a hard time with that, that people would reject that, that people wouldn't want to rest at least one day a week. I mean, I can't imagine if their boss came in one day and said, okay, this coming Wednesday, everyone go home, paid, paid day off. I said, no, 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 I'm going to come in anyway. Well, we're going to be closed. The door's going to be locked, dude. We're doing some repairs. Oh, that doesn't matter. I'll come in. I'll help with the repairs. I'm going to do something anyway. <laughs> no, no, no. You got the day off. I'm paid vacation. Go ahead. Take it off. No, no, no. I'm going to be here. I'm not taking this day off. I don't know why people have such a hard time with the Bible saying there's a Sabbath day. To take a day off once a week, the seventh day, once a week. I don't know why that's such a hard time. Well, I do know why. Because Satan hates God. And since Adam and Eve, we have put ourselves under Satan. And we have a carnal nature that is naturally hatred towards God, is enmity against God, and hates everything that God 
does and God has given to us. And that's why. That's why there's this resistance to do this great thing, this fabulous thing, a day off a week. Why would we buck that? Why would we have a hard time with it? Or why would we add more to it than God put in there? We've got both extremes. We've got people who want to make it more than God said, and people who just want to do away with it altogether. God's gift to humanity. Hey, it's like if you, someone you love, your grandmother or your aunt or someone sews you a wonderful sweater. Says, this is a gift towards you. This is a gift for you. And you say, oh, thanks, and throw it in the garbage, right? I don't need that. What do I need that for? It doesn't show any love or appreciation for the gift or the giver. Or someone else might take the gift and say, oh, this is very nice. Just needs a little bit of changing. Let me dye it in this color here, different color, and let me cut the arms off, and let me just reshape it here and change it all, and it doesn't look anything like it originally was. <coughs> And we got the two extremes with, with God. God gave us the Sabbath. So very simple words. This is what's written in the Ten Commandments. I abbreviated any, you know, where it said, you, you, your animal, your donkey, all these things I just said, or anyone in your gates, uh, to get it on the one screen there so we can look at it. But, but otherwise, that's the, it's pretty simple. God's instruction for it. And there we want to add to it all these kind of things that aren't in the text. Very plain. Work six days. Don't work one day. Don't work the seventh day. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. But our carnal nature wants to change what God has done. Why would it want to change what God has said? Because then we make ourselves to be God. And that's the bottom line. Satan wants to be God. And then Satan inoculates us with himself, that we're born. Then we want to be God. We want to make our own decisions. We think we know more than God. Well, the seventh day is not the best day. Let's do a different day. Well, why do any day? Well, let's do it this way. Let's add to it. We change what God said, then we make ourselves God. So six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day, not one in seven, the seventh day, is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So it's not our Sabbath day. It's God's Sabbath day. It's the Sabbath of the Lord. So it's the Lord's day. It's his day. Right? Ever wonder when Father's Day is? It's the seventh day, right? It's right in the text. Abba, right in the middle of Sabbath. Abba day. <laughs> it's a daddy's day. Father's day is the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your male servants, male servant, female servant, male servant, donkey, oxen, neighbor, guest, friend, relative, anyone who is within your gates. Give them the day off also. Don't make them work for you either. Why? Because in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth and sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. So it's a commemoration of what God did for us. And God created all these things. And God took a break on the seventh day. Why? Because he got tired? Because he earned enough in six days that he didn't have to work the seventh day? Why did he take off the seventh day? Why didn't he take off the third day? Why didn't he take off the fourth day? He took off the seventh day 
because on the sixth day, he created humanity and he wanted to spend a full day with us. And that's what the Sabbath is all about. That God wants to spend a day with us. He wants to celebrate Father's Day with him. That's the beauty of the love of God, that he loves us and he wants to be with us and spend quality time with us. Now, he'd like to spend seven days, but he knows we need work to do because <laughs> that helps our character, right? So the seventh day, he set apart as his day. Now, you can have an appointment with your father or your mother, your earthly parent, right? You can plan on getting together with them on Wednesday and make this arrangement with them. And they show up at the restaurant on Wednesday. And you decide, well, I didn't want Wednesday anyway. I'm going to show up on Tuesday. And you can show up on Tuesday. <laughs> but he's going to be there. She's going to be there on Wednesday. God says it's the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. That's the day that he chose. That's the day he picked. That's the day he ordained. Because again, it goes back to creation. It reminds us that he is the creator. And if we would remember that, and we have that seventh day reminder each week, that he is the creator, that he created all this earth for us, that he created all these things, and then he gave it to us, that he loves us. And that if he created us and he created all these things, then he can create in me a new heart. He created us out of dust then he can create in me a new heart, a new life, a new mind. He put a mind into Adam. He put a heart into Adam. He can put a new heart in me. He can change me. And if he created all these things and put it there and all in just six days and gave it to humanity, then certainly he can provide for whatever needs I have today or moving forward. And if he's able to create Eve out of Adam's rib, then he can take care of any problem that I have if necessary, if he chooses to. That nothing is impossible with God. And here in the Ten Commandments, it just confirms that whole Genesis story. And in Jeremiah, it confirms the whole Genesis story. And all throughout the scriptures, in John and in Matthew, it confirms the Genesis story. Which is a whole lot more logical and takes less faith to believe than to believe that something came from nothing at an unknown time, in an unknown way, in an unknown manner, and that unknown thing all of a sudden became everything that we can see and everything we can't see as well. So the Lord gave us the Sabbath to remind us that he's the creator and to spend time with us. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 20, so if you want 2020 vision, if your eyesight's going, this is how you get 2020 vision. Ezekiel 20, 20, and verse 12 also, hallow, there's again that word, hallow my Sabbath. God hallowed it, and he wants us to keep it holy as well. Hallow my Sabbath, and they will be a sign between me and you that you may know 
that I am the Lord your God, that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So it's God who sanctifies us, and the Sabbath is a reminder, it's a sign between us and him, that we know that he is the Lord God, and that we're not. We're not God. So it's a sign, it's, it testifies, it shows that we're not God, that he's God, he calls the shots, he created all things, he brought it all into existence, he brought us into existence, he changed us, he loved us, he first loved us. And that he knows what's best. He chose the day, he chose everything. It shows that we acknowledge him as Lord and God. And it shows that he sanctifies us. There's the two parts again. Justification, he's the Lord God. He does everything. He's the over it all. He forgives on his own. He justifies on his own. He loves on his own. Without us loving back, he still loves us. He is the Lord God. And that he sanctifies us. And the Sabbath testifies to both. The Sabbath testifies that he created us without our permission and that he keeps us alive and sustains us and sanctifies us, makes us holy. And the Sabbath testifies to that. Because again, our natural nature is to reject that. Our natural nature is to resist that. Or either to resist accepting the Sabbath, doing the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath, resting on the Sabbath. Or by adding extra burdens to it that the Bible doesn't say and changing it. And some people say that keeping the Sabbath is works. Works-oriented, trying to work your way to heaven. The commandment said rest, not work. <laughs> it's rest your way to heaven if you want that. <laughs> Resting in God, trusting in Him. Believing in Him. And it testifies that He sanctifies us. Keeping the Sabbath doesn't justify us. That's not what it says. He justified us without us. He forgave us without us. He died for us without us. He loved us without us. But he sanctifies us. He changes us with our permission. With us allowing him to work in us and through us. So the Sabbath doesn't justify us. The Sabbath doesn't get us to heaven. But the Sabbath proves that we've accepted his justification, that we've accepted his forgiveness, that we've accepted his transformation, that we've accepted his new heart, that we've accepted his new mind, and that now we're wanting because he's in us. And just as he kept the Sabbath, he's now in us and he'll want to keep it. Another beautiful text from Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13, starting in verse 13. Call the Sabbath a delight. A delight. That's what Oneg, Oneg Shabbat. We eat oneg. It's, oneg means sh delight. The oneg Shabbat is the time we delight in the Sabbath. When we eat together. We put up with the sermon just so we can eat together. Right? <laughs> we delight in the Sabbath. When we eat together, we sit together, we fellowship together. We commune together just as Adam, God did with Adam and Eve. Oneg Shabbat. They call the Sabbath a delight. Not, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. Rest. Right? Rest. You picture that, you know, think about sitting on a beach in Hawaii or Clearwater AP and resting, right? It's a delight. 
delighting in the Sabbath, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, honor him, not doing your own ways. That's the whole thing, your own ways. Nor finding our own pleasure. He's not talking don't do anything pleasurable because he says delight in it, meaning your own livelihood again. The pleasure meaning that you work, that you're earning your living with. Nor speaking your own words. Again, the key there on our own, doing our own thing to prosper ourselves, to increase ourselves, to help ourselves. Six days, we need to do that. We need to work to earn a living, right, for ourselves and for our family, right? But the Sabbath, don't do your own ways. Make it honorable, honor him, delight in him. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. If we delight in the Sabbath, then we will delight in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. The Lord has spoken. There again, just because you say, the Lord will cause us. It's him doing it, not us. It's him doing it. And we will delight ourselves in him because of what he has done for us. So it's not us working, it's not us trying to try harder at resting. Try harder at resting. Try to rest harder. <laughs> no, he comes into us and he causes us. He compels us. A butterfly doesn't have to try to fly. A caterpillar tries to fly and doesn't do good at all. But a butterfly doesn't have to try. It becomes natural. And when God changes us and transforms us, it becomes a delight. God's ways become a delight. And so if keeping the Sabbath is not a delight, are you trying to get rid of it, trying to change it, or trying to add to it? And if you're not delighting in the Sabbath, if it's a burden, if you're looking at the clock or watch to wait till it's over, or your phone, wait till it's over, so you can now do your own pleasures, and your own things, you don't look forward to it, well, it just reveals our heart, that's all. And it's not a hard thing to deal with. You just then take that heart and give it to God. <laughs> Say, God, give me your heart. It's not been a delight. Maybe it used to be a delight, but I've lost a delight because I've taken my eyes off the Lord. So fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. Fill me with you, your mind. And then it becomes a delight again. A joyful time again. A restful time again with him. An honorable day. A day to honor him. And delighting in it. And as we delight in the Sabbath, we delight in the Lord, because they go together. So back to Jeremiah, chapter chapter seven, back to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 24. If you heed me carefully, says the Lord, to bring no burden on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day to do no work. So again, there we see work and burden going together. And to hallow it again over and over again. Then shall enter the gates of the city kings sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots with the men of Judah and Jerusalem shall remain forever. Wonderful promise. Connected to the Sabbath. What God will do, as it said in Isaiah, will ride upon the earth. They'll ride on the chariots. Kings will come to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will remain forever. 
They shall come from the cities of Judah and from places around Jerusalem and from the land of Benjamin and from the lowland, from the mountains and from the south, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and incense, bringing sacrifices of praise to the house of the Lord. If we keep the Sabbath, he says, then it'll infect others. And others will rejoice in the Sabbath also. Others will delight in it also. Others will rest in it also. Others will connect with the Lord also. Others will find delight in the Lord also. Others will honor him. And others will come and bring praises to the house of the Lord. Wonderful promise. Jerusalem won't be destroyed. Jerusalem will remain forever. But if you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden within the entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. And this prediction of Jeremiah is what came to pass. They didn't choose to keep the Sabbath, as God said. They didn't choose to surrender to him. Chose to continue to do their own ways, their own things. And Jerusalem was destroyed. Babylon came, burned it down. And as it says there, and I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Fire was so intense. Destruction was so complete, it devoured the city, destroyed the temple, and it was not quenched. This is where we get the phrase unquenchable fire. Now, obviously, Jerusalem is not still burning today. Jerusalem didn't continue to burn for the last uh, 2,500 years or however long since, since Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. So it means not be quenched. Well, the Bible definition of not being quenched means it's not put out prematurely, that it's not put out before it devours everything. So the fire continued to burn, devoured everything that's burnable. And when fire, just the nature of fire, when it burns up all the material, all the fuel, whether wood or whatever, when it burns up all the fuel, what happens? What happens? You hold a match, put it on a piece of metal, and it burns all the way till all the wood stick is burned up. What happens to the fire? It goes out. So it wasn't quenched halfway. It wasn't blown out. They didn't put it out, and part of the temple still standing. The part of the palace is still standing. It was devoured. It was destroyed. It was destroyed completely. Most people were taken captive. There was no one there to put it out. Hardly. And so it just burned down to the rubble until there was nothing left by, but ashes. And that is symbolic of the unquenchable fire that God will destroy this earth and sinners with. And he connects that all in, the destruction of Jerusalem, Babylon coming, because of the sins of the kings and the sins of Judah, 
one in particular that's mentioned in this chapter is the Sabbath day. Doesn't mention all ten all throughout, but of course all ten still applied. But for whatever reason, God specified in Jeremiah here as a warning on the Sabbath. It's a special day for God. It's a special commandment for God. All the commandments are equal. Broke one, you've broken them all. But over and over again, we see him pulling this one out. Maybe because it's so special to him, because it's the time he wants to spend with us. And that time with him is so special to him. Commemorates him as creator, and that's an important thing to God. It should be important to us as well. It's a special day that he wants to spend with us. It's a special test. It was a test for Judah. It was a test with Babylon, coming or not coming, destroying or not destroying. The test for Jerusalem. It's a test for Adam and Eve. It's a test down through the ages. And it's a test whether or not we have been sanctified. And if we keep the Sabbath, as it said there, and Isaiah, it testifies. Maybe it was Ezekiel, but it testifies that he has sanctified us. And if he's sanctifying us, then he's also justifying us. That we are his children. By his work and by our choice. So as we pray together, if you've been reacting to God's Sabbath or any of God's commandments, but the topic tonight out of Jeremiah 17 was the Sabbath. By either adding extra burdens onto it that aren't there, or by rejecting it, or by trying to change it or manipulate it. Then as we pray, in a moment I'll invite you to surrender that to the Lord. And acknowledge him as Lord, acknowledge him as God, let him be the one to call the shots. And surrender our own being God, changing his word or adding to it. Or if the Sabbath, maybe you're observing the Sabbath, but it's a burden to you. You don't enjoy it. You're not delighting in it. Well, that's an indication that we are keeping the Sabbath and the Sabbath is not keeping us. That we are trying to do it in our own strength, in our own power, and not in God's sanctifying power. That we're trying to do it by our own works, and not by God's Spirit. And so if that's your case today, maybe again, maybe you used to delight in it, but maybe it's just become routine, and even burdensome. I invite you to surrender that to the Lord. And ask the Lord to remove that, and to give you his delight in the Sabbath. and to commune with him, and to fellowship with him, and to look forward to it together with him. And thirdly, if maybe God has done some work in your life, maybe he's healed you of something, and you haven't changed. Maybe you're still doing the same thing that got you in trouble in the past. Maybe you've been in a financial mess and somehow God got you out of it. Maybe someone helped you out. Maybe some door opened up. Maybe God worked something out and got you out of it, but you haven't changed your financial dealings. You still 
treating money the same way you did. Well, same thing's going to happen again. And maybe even worse. Or maybe some other area that God has worked in your life and did something for you. And you're thankful that you got out of that situation or healed or whatever. But not enough to allow God to change you. And so God's warning, just as to that paralytic, sin no more. At least the worst thing come upon you. And so if there's some sin in your life, some area in your life where you're resisting God, disobeying him, maybe the Sabbath, maybe some totally other thing. God's been convicting you. God's been bringing something to your mind. Maybe something, some anger, some unforgiveness, some bitterness, some wrath, some pride, some selfishness. Maybe some direct commandment that you're breaking. Surrender that to the Lord. So the worst thing does not have to come to you. That we can receive God's forgiveness. That we can receive his grace. That we can receive his Holy Spirit to come inside us and to change us. To forgive us, justify us, and to forgive us, empower us, and change us. Transform us and sanctify us. So if any of those areas apply to you tonight, let us pray together and let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. We're thankful for your goodness and mercy towards us. We're thankful, Lord, that you've created us and you created us special, the crying act of your creation. Thank you for loving us and giving us the Sabbath day, for giving us your day, for giving us your holy day, your blessed day. We thank you for wanting to spend that time with us. Remove out of us our carnal heart, our enmity against you, and whatever we've done to the Sabbath, whether rejecting it or changing it or adding to it or any other sin in our life or any other thing that you're working in our hearts. We want to surrender to you. We want you to be Lord. We want you to be God. We want to delight in fellowship with you, delighting in your Sabbath and Shabbat, delighting in your presence, delighting in living with you. Come into us, live out of us, in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.